Hello, and welcome to Fact Schmacks. It's a podcast good enough to get you a C. Minus. My name is Matt, and I've got a story to tell. And my name is Kev. I have a story to interrupt. All right. That was our best yet. It was... Snappy. Yeah, yeah. I love how you call attention to it every time. That Absolutely. Really adds to the professional level that we're for going sure. for. Well, we can't get too professional here. <laughs> but we are going to no. start off with uh, with your game. So, yeah. So, Matt, what is in a name? <laughs> Letters? <laughs> Letters, sure. Yeah. Well, I got, some, I got some names here. Canada has a penchant for naming things okay. in, in a great way. Yeah. So I've got a couple of... Uh, Couple town names. Yeah, we're gonna be like at Fiddler's Penis, Newfoundland, or something. <laughs> That's Dildo. Yeah, New- sure. Yeah, which is a real place. Yep. If anybody's not familiar, look it up. Uh, so number one, we have Swastika, Ontario. Oh God, it probably is real. <laughs> <laughs> okay, our second fact or schmacked. Yeah. Punky Doodles Corners, Ontario. <laughs> if anybody who happens to listen to this now or in the future lives in any of these places, I'm very sorry for laughing <laughs> at your ridiculous name. And our third fact or schmack today, Brown Star, Manitoba. No. <laughs> 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 okay well what is it well here's the thing with, now if you chose if you didn't make up brown star manitoba you hit gold you know because back when back when kevin and i were just young lads there was a bar that we really liked to go to called the neon moon but a lot of times we called it the brown star <laughs> <laughs> So I, I don't know. Right. Like, we did we did call it that, didn't we? <laughs> we did. So it could easily be something that you've made up. Maybe, maybe not. What were the first two again? So Swastika, Ontario. Yeah. And Punky Doodles Corners. Which is it's hard to get out without giggling. Yeah. Okay, here's where I'm at with Punky Doodles Corners. Okay. I want it to be real, so I'm, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm gonna try to manifest okay. that. Fair enough. Swastika, Ontario. So we're down to a 50-50. Yeah. Well, as far as I know. You could always Monty Hall me and offer me a change. But uh, Swastika, Ontario. I There is a huge German population in Ontario. I totally... Whoa, 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 whoa. The swastika is not a natively German thing. It, it was bastardized by the Germans. It was like a Hindu or like, a, like an old... Um, it was like a symbol of like peace and like regeneration and stuff. Uh, it, it was bastardized by the Germans. So. Yeah, I'm aware of that. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I wouldn't, I mean, if it was a real place or if it's a real place, I would hope that it's not named after the German swastika. Oh, if it is, I bet it is. A thousand percent <laughs> bet it is. It's not, no. There's like, no way. Yeah. No, just for the amount of Germans that like, I mean, yeah, Kitchener was full of Germans. Uh so I believe that one. I'm saying Brown Star Manitoba. You made it up. <laughs> Son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I just really wanted to say Brown Star Manitoba. Yeah, you did. I'm sorry. I have a couple honorable mentions. You want to hear them? Yeah. Okay, we have Crotch Lake, Ontario. <laughs> <laughs> 
Stoner BC. I hope that I, I okay. I never hope for a forest fire, but I hope there is a forest fire. Crotch Lake, <laughs> <laughs> the Crotch Lake fire. Uh, Climax, Saskatchewan. I have heard of that. Eyebrow, Saskatchewan. <laughs> and of course, as we mentioned, Dildo, Newfoundland. Yes. So I, I also when I was a kid, and you know, this wasn't very mature at the time. It's certainly not. I'd probably. Wouldn't like my son laughing at this now, but I vividly remember finding Gaylord, Michigan on a map. And we just howled. Oh, there's my idiot dog. Um, He's making his podcast debut. Mm-hmm. That's Henry. Yeah. I Somebody might have the audacity to be walking down the street right now. God, they're definitely here to murder you. And clearly. And he's giving you ample warning, so it's your own fault. All the time in the world to figure this out. Well, today's musing oh boy. is... This is the part I look forward to the most. <laughs> this is when I can turn my brain off. <laughs> I might need you to turn it on for this one. It's oh gonna, it is going to slide into what we're talking about here, but it's, it's about the, the nature of matter. What actually makes up the mass... Well, really the nature of mass. What makes up the mass in your body? Is it, you know, the stuff... Donuts? <laughs> but you're like 99% empty space, right? There's only... I feel that way often. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's particular, I feel that way about your head when I'm talking to <laughs> you. son of a bitch. Well played. <laughs> Apologies to your mom. Um, but if you were to actually... She's not listening. Good. Uh, if you were to take all of the stuff, all of that stuff, all of the nuclear material that you're made out of, and even if you break it down further, you take all the particles and the quirks and quarks, all of the, the finest points of stuff that okay. you're made out of, and you weigh all that for whatever its intrinsic mass is, it's not even close to what your mass is when you step on a, on a scale. Have you actually tried to weigh it? Or uh, is this just theoretical? No, people have. People now know, you know masses of things. So what, where does the majority of your mass come from? Well... Your, the particles in your body are made up of quarks and quarks, and they are... That's a good CBC show. It is a great CBC show. Uh, they are things that do have a little bit of mass because they interact with the Higgs field, and they're also stuck in what's called the gluon field inside of a particle. But given their druthers, they would love to just be kind of rocketing around at the speed of light. Yeah, so would I. So would, so would we all. Right. But they're being held back. They can't get there. The difference between the speed of light and the speed they actually do wobble around and, and kind of fly around inside of a, a particle at, that difference is what makes up the majority of your mass. It actually comes from the energy of these particles, which otherwise would be light speed particles, being held back. And that's it's kind of a cool thing. It's something that we know. It's actually something that we started to figure out around, you know, the 1900s was when there was kind of that atomic revolution. Uh, a big start, uh, part of Einstein's uh, first paper, which was totally the theory of special relativity, I think came first, was very uh, concerned with this idea of how much of like an atom's mass comes from just energy. Uh, it's, for example, the reason we can we can have atomic bombs is because you, you know, if you can kind of access all the energy that's 
that's in those uh, atoms, you can make a big explosion. Interesting. Uh-huh. One other thing I just want to mention about that, about your mass being made up of, you know, the difference between the, the speed of light and how fast this stuff is going, all this kind of machinery inside your particles. Uh, how, what is that difference? How fast? How, how, how much are we missing the speed of light here? I don't know. It's well, a, it's God a, damn it. It's a fraction of it anyways, right? <clears throat> but it's one of the major reasons why we know you know, other than like direct measurement, but that we know that there has to be a finite speed of light because if the speed of light was infinite, think about that for a second. What is, let's say, six-tenths of infinity? That's mind-boggling. Uh, there's no answer to that because infinity is like undefinable. Well, there is an answer to it mathematically. It's infinity. Sure. Yeah. yeah. It, what's, in, what's infinity minus seven? Infinity? It's still infinity. Okay. Yeah. Um, so if, if the speed of light were infinite, any reduction in it by any percent would still wind you up with an infinite amount of mass, which would be infinitely difficult to accelerate in any direction. It would be a very paradoxical world we would find ourselves in. Oh, the clickety-clack of, of dogs fighting beside us here. Yeah, they're really intent on... Uh fighting with each other yeah they're getting a little excited now i might yeah. have to do something about this we might have to take a, a short let's give them let's give them some beer <laughs> i no. oh no i thought i thought henry was winning but thought, anyways okay sorry either way uh oh and sorry that's that's also uh why if you have mass you can never travel at the speed of light because the the energy that you have, the acceleration that you have, uh, that adds to your mass. And as you approach the speed of light, you have to pour more and more energy into your, you know, the system that you've created where you're traveling very fast, which makes you more and more massive as you go. Oh, so if I traveled at the speed of light, I would become a very large person. Well, you'd be infinitely large, I guess, because you would have mass. That's why nothing with mass can because as you pour energy into, you know, that system, you just become more massive. I mean, I guess. Uh, and then hard, which means you're harder to accelerate. It's hard to just receive this news. Right. In this manner and For go sure. like, yes, of course, of course. <laughs> I mean, it kind of makes sense. And then the other part of me is like, uh, so moving on. <laughs> well, we're going to we're going to be kind of staying there, actually. Oh, God. Because to start the I didn't come here to think <laughs> to start the uh, the topic that we're talking about today. We actually have to start at the beginning of the Manhattan Project. Ooh, mm. interesting. Uh huh. We're going to be talking a little bit about atomic science here. OK, uh, now it's as, not rocket science. No. Well, no, not until the 50s. Right. Yeah. Okay. So we don't need to worry about rocket science. Uh, sure. Fair enough. Manhattan Project, as everybody knows, a multinational project to try to uh, develop an atomic bomb, specifically to try to develop, develop an atomic bomb before the Germans do. Yes, the Germans. Mm-hmm. Everybody in this time period, you know, is in, in the World War II is dealing with the fog of war. Uh, they, on the Allied side, were very, very convinced that the Germans had a robust program to develop an atomic bomb, uh, when it turned out that that wasn't the case at all. Uh, the Germans had almost no nuclear program. Uh, the small one that they did 
uh, wound up being, uh, I'm going to back up a little bit here uh, from what I was going to say there. They made a critical error when they were, um, you know, kind of in the early stages of seeing if this whole atomic bomb thing is even feasible. You need a, a moderator for a nuclear reactor, which is one of the ways that you can produce fissile material. Right. For some reason, the Germans just miscalculated uh, how um, effective graphite would be as a moderator, and they didn't think it would be feasible. Now, one thing one thing I've heard is that uh, the scientist who was kind of leading the charge on this was was not really much of a Nazi, and he was kind of fudging some things. I've heard. I have heard that. I cannot. I can't really pass judgment on that. I've also heard that that's maybe him after the fact saying, "Oh, oh yeah, yeah, I no, totally no, didn't I, yeah, fuck yeah, up." Yeah, I was maybe. <laughs> Maybe I was uh, helping the allies. That's right. Yeah. That's <laughs> let cer- me go. <laughs> yeah. That's certainly what I would be saying anyways. Yeah. Uh, but, but in, but in German, but yeah. <laughs> um, so for whatever reason, the, the, the Nazis thought that the only thing you could use for a moderator was heavy water. The only place they got heavy water from was this place in Norway. There was this like awesome commando mission yeah, yeah, to destroy yeah. They blew that up yeah. a ferry full of uh, heavy water. Yeah. Yeah. And they also destroyed the plan it came from. And, you yeah. know, that after that, the Germans just never even really restarted their program. Or... Yeah, that was a super badass story. I've seen a couple documentaries on that. And yes. Like, Man, we are not awesome. Tell- we are not telling that story. Though. Oh, <laughs> goddamn. That would have been a great that, future episode, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, just to get into how a nuclear bomb works on a very basic level. Yeah, let's be very basic. We don't know who's listening. <laughs> <laughs> you know, everybody understands. It's, it's very easy to find out how they work. It's very difficult to get the materials to do it. And that's why, you know, that's, right. that's a, we're very lucky uh, in that respect. But generally, you have, let's say, uh, a piece of uranium-235. Right. And inside that uranium, there's little atoms jiggling around. And they've got neutrinos on They're them. They're just having a little dance party. Having a little dance party. And every once in a while, it's like a mosh pit. It gets out of control. And somebody gets ejected. Sure. From the little dance party. Yep. And that guy, you know, maybe he he runs into another dance party. And, you know, since he's already been kicked out of his own, he's very divisive. He's going to divide that dance party up into two separate dance parties. And each of those dance parties is going to fire, you know, find someone that they want to eject. That's and, like the moderator effect. Yeah. That's right? the moderator cause. The moderator's like the bouncer going into the dance party and being like, you're out, you're out, you're out. And yeah. then those guys go, yeah. Yeah. And cause more trouble elsewhere. Sure. Yeah, to make it really, really dumb. <laughs> to, to really dumb down our dumb podcast here. <laughs> yeah. So if you have got... Thank you. Uh, if you have got um, uh, uranium... Uh, uh, oh, geez, I just... 235. Yeah, if you've got uranium 235... Um, <clears throat> There's three states that it can be in. One is kind of its inert, normal state. You call that subcritical. Right. What that means is that, on average, these neutrinos that are firing off of atoms, they're not hitting even one atom on average. So right, there's yeah, kind there's of, nothing. There's nothing really going on. There is... Well, you could probably explain this better than I could, but what, what would something being critical mean? Uh, well, okay, so... I have had experience working in a, in a field, I won't say where or give too many details, but uh, it's not like super top secret or anything, but it's, you know, just... You've nuts. been inside a nuclear reactor. We oh, yeah, say yeah, that for sure. 100%. Yeah. Um, I've, I've seen the fuel 
uh, when it's when it's in its inert state, like you can literally just handle it. Yeah. Don't really need too many precautions. I mean, you don't want to put any uh, heavy water beside. Yeah, I wouldn't you don't, sleep you don't next want to, to have it, the, maybe. You don't want to have the pallet of uranium next to the heavy water. Sure. Probably not so good. But uh, <laughs> overall, like it's uh, it's very stable, very clean, mm-hmm. not really a hazard. Uh, and then once it goes in into the reactor, you have the moderator, usually uh, at certain cases like heavy water or something. Uh, and this, uh, <clears throat> like... I'm the layman of this industry. Like, I, yeah, don't, yeah. I don't have like... You're not a physicist. I'm not a physicist. You're I don't turning have, screws. Yeah, I'm, I'm spinning wrenches. Uh, <clears throat> but anyhow, um, yeah, when it's when it's in its inert state, it's super safe. When it goes into the critical state, uh, you basically get that dance party a rocking, and it probably takes like hundreds of years for that party to stop, even after you take the moderator out. Yeah. And you get the, uh, I think it's called the Higgins effect, where you get that blue, the blue glow. Oh. I've seen that. It's very interesting. We might, we're going to talk about the blue go- glow a little bit later. But yeah, yeah, it's very, it's very kind of eerie, very kind of interesting when you see it, like when it's in the pool or something after. Yeah. Uh, you wouldn't want to be. When you're separated by a bunch of water and you, you, you know, it's not hurting you. Yeah. And they can basically turn on and off the criticality of it. Like it could be running and if it was running and you walked in there, I mean, you're done. Yeah. Uh, they turn it off and like a couple days later you can go in, mm-hmm. do whatever you got to do. Come out. Yeah. Uh, you're still, still lots of radiation. There's still parts of it that would cook you alive, but I mean, yeah. Yeah. So crit- I think critical from a scientific standpoint means it's, you are creating as many collisions as you sure. are. It's, it's balanced. There, there's a good analogy in that, there's a video online you can watch. I, I don't mean to interrupt you here, but uh, it's got a bunch of um, mouse traps with ping pong balls on it. Okay. So they're all sitting in this like room or whatever, and you throw in a ping pong, and it sets off one of them, which launches. And then a... all of a sudden, it's like pop, 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 right. Pop. And that's exactly kind of what happens when you push it. Yeah. Uh, when you when you basically push it to criticality. Yeah, criticality is like the knife's edge. Where you are, mm-hmm. you're. It's a very small range. After that, it's super critical. Yeah. Super critical is like turning that dance party into a riot. Yeah. Um, super critical is is what happens during a nuclear explosion. That that mass in the in the middle goes the the, the nuclear core goes super critical. Right. You have to do it at exactly the right way. You can't just even if you get something to go super critical, that's that doesn't mean there's going to be a nuclear explosion. It has to be done very specifically. Yeah. Um, the first ones were like, uh, you basically had like a spherical, uh, two spherical domes. Yeah. And then they uh, wrapped it in explosives and it simultaneously exploded and compressed it. And that yeah. compression caused the nuclear. Uh, that was like the, um, the one they dropped on Hiroshima. And the one on Nagasaki was a Was gun. plutonium. Was a gun type, yeah, where the it sped down a cylinder and impact. I don't know if it was like another piece of plutonium or something, but blew up. It was yeah, pretty wild. Um, and so they actually made so one. You can make um this the fissile material that you need for a nuclear bomb in two different ways. One is to just refine um uranium two thirty eight into only the uranium two thirty five uranium Which is a super long process back in the day yeah was really really hard to do um, 
it's about 1% of all the uranium on Earth is uranium-235. So you're trying to refine, you know, this stuff into just the most volatile 1% of it. Right. Um, the other thing you can do is if you use uranium-238 in a nuclear reactor, one of the byproducts is plutonium, and you can use that for a, for a nuclear bomb. So in the Manhattan Project, they actually made four nuclear bombs. Um, and... Only the first one that they detonated didn't uh, take human lives. The one at uh, <clears throat> Trinity. Yes. Right. Was They called it the Gadget. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> the it, Trinity test site in uh, New Mexico. Yeah. I love the, the footage from that. It's like, it's so terrifying. But one of the things I really, there's a picture of it where you can see in it, it almost looks like a virus. There's these little streamers that are starting yeah. to shoot out of the... And I think that was like debt cord, basically. That yeah, that was the um, that was the steel cord that they were using to suspend the device was oh, incinerating right, yeah. ahead of the uh, ahead of the shock wave. So it was making these little like sticking out. It's just a wild looking picture. Yeah, um, it's um, <clears throat> terrifying. It's, it is terrifying for sure. And I think too, like of those early bombs, only a small percentage of the actual fissile material went critical yeah they got much better at making it right did you know uh, um it's funny we were talking about nuclear weapons in our last podcast um did you know that uh it was originally feared by some of the scientists at los alamos that detonating a nuclear weapon would cause a chain reaction which would basically ignite the atmosphere that i think the the fear of that is really overstated Sure, I think but I mean, some scientist on this project, you're like, hey, build me a bomb. And this guy's like, well, uh, you know, like, this could just create death everywhere. Yeah. And you're like, uh, I'll take my chances. I think it was more just they were looking into whether it could. I don't think there was an actual fear that it would. Ladies and gentlemen, that's beer number two. <laughs> I don't often drink during podcasts, but today's a special occasion because we're... Live and in person. Again. Absolutely. Yeah, we should mention that. This is the first one we've done since the first one. We're actually sitting in the same room uh, yeah. across a very long table from each other. And my <laughs> two dogs. long enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and my two dogs are walking around like maniacs. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, you know, one of the ways that, one of the things that you need to do when you make these bombs is you need to get all of this stuff really, really close together. Yep. You need to pack it together. You want these these dancers in really tight so that when one gets ejected, it maximizes the chance that he's going to run into a bunch of friends. Right. Um, so these cores that they designed, the, or the four cores that, that, they, that they made, they were all within about 5% volume-wise of criticality. They're very close to, to being on that nice So they edge. were very densely... Very densely, Constructed. Yeah. So the first two, there was one... Uh, hydrogen, uh, or not hydrogen, sorry, that was, that's much later. Was, yeah. uh, one um, uh, uranium-type bomb and then one plutonium-type that were dropped on uh, Japan. Right. Um, Who, Japan, let's, can we just take a sidetrack here and just say Japan has just had the worst. Yeah. When it, like, between With nuclear that and then Fukushima. Yeah. Like, God damn, dude. Yeah. And it's not a very big island. No. In the grand scheme of things, right? Mm-hmm. They say Fukushima is potentially still yet to be its worst situation yet. Well, it's one of the... Like, it's, it's, still a de it's still a developing problem. They still have all this water that they have no idea what to do with, and it's super contaminated. Yeah. Um, well, and I think there's still... It's one of the places where there's ever been corium 
uh, occur. What's that? Corium is the byproduct of nuclear reactors melting down. It's if you ever look at like the elephant's foot in Chernobyl. Oh, okay, it's like the slag that comes off. It's it's the remains of the core after wow. it's melted down. It's called corium. And it's only, it's there, Three Mile Islands is another place where there was corium. Uh, I don't think very much of it. And I, I'm pretty sure in Fukushima there was also corium. Dude, you know, it's it's funny, like, you you think, like, okay, it's it's super green and everything, and it is, and and I, I believe in nuclear power and stuff. Uh, but you just think of when you let the genie out of the bottle on these things, like, Chernobyl could have melted through, if, the, if it had melted through and hit the water table... That water table yeah. supplied a lot of Europe, dude. Like, it would have just fucked Europe. Yeah. And then you look at Fukushima, the Pacific Ocean. Like, you know, who knows what your fish is going to be like in 20 years. Yeah. And then you get some of these places and big... Like, you've got nuclear plants in Toronto. What if... Pickering. Pick, well, it's Toronto. Toronto GTA, yeah. greater Toronto area. So you've got how many million people there? Could you imagine if a Chernobyl happened and they you had a thirty mile exclusion zone there? Like, god yeah. damn, they had um now like Chernobyl. It's worth mentioning with Chernobyl. It's one of the first nuclear reactors that was ever built. Yeah, it was like a it was what's it called a stack uh, not a stack a pile uh, reactor. Yeah, yeah, we're, which we're not safe. Yeah, it's a lot safer it it, no it it absolutely is and actually i just read today that they're going to be building a new one there nice uh no not in chernobyl sorry it's a toronto uh darlington i think was gonna put a a, a small it's like a small reactor or something kind of cool uh new technology it's like a no can do is what they have now okay Um, do we still make can do's is there like a next generation can do coming to be honest i don't know we're refurbing all the can do's yeah so that's, I mean, that's not... Hey, this is our best tangent yet. Yeah. <laughs> that's not, uh, and that's not like, I mean, like I said, when I worked at a new plant, don't think I had any kind of like top secret clearance or anything. I Obviously, I'm not going to give details about stuff, mostly because I don't know any. <laughs> but uh, like, that's like public knowledge is that they are rebuilding all the can-dos for yeah. probably another 60-year life service, but they're... I just read in the news today they're putting a, a like a small reactor at Darlington. Sweet, which is kind of neat. Yeah. So this um, this four year billion dollar in nineteen you know forty two dollar uh, program manages to make four nuclear cores to put in bombs. The first one is the gadget, as we said right. in Trinity. The next two get dropped in Japan. The third one, Fat Man and Little Boy. Fat Man and Little Boy. The third one was that's a, like a, that's, that could be our nicknames. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um the third the fourth one was was meant to be dropped on Japan, but they surrendered. Yeah. So now they've I got- bet Truman was real pissed about that. He's like, God damn, I just got that thing loaded up. I was all ready to flex my American muscle. Man, getting that we're gonna do the story of the Indianapolis someday. Getting the uh, uh, getting the five hundred men went into the water. Yeah, fifty came out. Oh, it's grisly. It's from Jaws. Yeah, it's yeah. a real thing. No, it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's fascinating. Fascinating. That fourth core was codenamed Rufus. 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 That's a that's a dog name. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was three point five inches in diameter, which I think is what probably like a baseball, roughly. 
Maybe, but, maybe a softball. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For anybody no, curious what happened, Kevin looked towards my crotch. Uh, <laughs> Longingly. <laughs> it's 14 pounds of plutonium this thing was. Wow, that's super dense, man. Think about yeah. It. And like I said, they keep this thing within about 5% of criticality. But now what are you going to do with this thing? Well, they sent it back to Los Alamos where the Manhattan Project was mostly happening, although there was a bunch of different places where it was happening. It was this collaborative effort. Yeah, there was a couple, on. like Sandia, I think, was one. Yeah, there was Chalk River in Canada was one. There was yep. some place in the UK, I'm sure, that was one. I looked into very little of this. Uh, but uh, they... It was uh, like Oxford or Cambridge University was big into the Manhattan Project, maybe. Maybe yeah, that, shit, I don't know. I think, yeah, yeah, but anyways, uh, anyhow, um, but what are you going to do with this thing? Well, a lot of science, when you get right down to it, is just a series of more and more precise measurements. And so they thought they're going to take this thing back to Los Alamos and they're going to kind of poke and prod at it. And, you know, because they know it's like 5%, you know, mass wise or, or, or volume wise away from being critical. But like, is that five point? Zero zero one three five seven nine percent, or is that four point nine two three nine six percent, or something like that? They don't know. You know, there's a margin of error there, and any way they can to reduce that margin of error is probably good. That means they can, you know, increase the yield of these bombs, make them lighter, all sorts of things. There's, there's right. reasons they want to be doing this. So there's this guy named Harry Doglean. Back that up, sorry, one more this time. This guy named Harry Doglean. Oh, I thought uh, you said Harry Dogmeat. No, Doglean. Doglean. Doglean, Doglean. Okay. Um, who was doing an experiment with this thing. He was trying to figure out, you know, with more precision, exactly where this thing is going to go critical. Right. One way to do that is if you go to these neutrons that are shooting off of this core, one day way to do that is to, like, you know, kind of just fire them back in. Don't let them get out. If you've got something that'll reflect these neutrons back into the fray, it makes it much oh, more likely. Oh, I know about this. <laughs> okay. Are we getting... I've yeah. heard of this. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So this is, this is a lot in a lot of ways, a story about safety. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is how safety videos should start out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and this is kind of the Wild West of nuclear research. So, oh, yeah. Cutting edge. Cutting edge. So this guy is playing with a nuclear bomb. As you would. As you would. Back in the day. Yeah. And didn't even wash your hands. No. Didn't yeah. wear a seatbelt when think, transporting. You know, it. honestly though, if you're playing with that thing, your hands are probably coming away reasonably sanitized. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> yeah, but all the all the uh all the particles. Like they, they didn't even look to check for like alpha contamination and stuff back in the day. I don't know. So, yeah, I I don't I don't know how much of an issue that was in this story. Well, I mean I would think that anything, any kind of material, uh, alpha is something that comes from like, um, fuel. Yeah. So in, in my experience that I've seen, so like it's, and it's like tiny nanoparticles of fuel. Yeah. <clears throat> which are, you It's basically know, dust. It's nuclear dust. And if you get it on you, it's still it, radioactive. And if you, but the problem is you get it in you. Breathe it in. Yeah. You breathe it in, you, you eat it, you, you lick your finger after eating a sandwich yeah. And that's in you. And then your dust from your body after it's long decomposed is still clicking that, uh, that radiation me meter. 
You should you should knock your pop screen again for effect <laughs> more often. <laughs> <laughs> so the experiment he's doing is he's got these uh, these bricks of I think it's tungsten carbide, and that will do a pretty good job of reflecting these neutrons back. And I think he's almost building like an igloo around the around the core. And he's trying to figure out, you know, as I get closer and closer to this where exactly the point where it's going to go critical. He's got a Geiger counter that's kind of counting all the radiation coming off it. He's, you know, it's going to warn him when he's going critical. He's doing his experiment during the day and he builds his little thing and he's got one more brick and he starts to put it on and it warns him that it's going to go critical and he's, oh, okay, interesting. And he, he puts his brick down and he, you know, gets rid of it or, or deep unpacks his experiment or whatever. But for whatever reason... He was really curious about that result, and he went back later that night, and he did the experiment again alone. And he's building his little brick igloo around this spherical nuclear bomb core that you know right. you totally should be playing with. And he's got his last brick, and he's you know you got to picture him like hunched over this thing, and he's lowering this last brick on. And as he gets closer and closer, it's, you know, he's getting closer and closer to criticality. And he gets right to the point where it's, you know, very much, if you go any further, this thing is, things are going to be bad. Right. You know, he's lowering it down on top. So he stops and he slowly starts bringing his hand away and has the most ill-timed bout of butterfingers in history. I don't know if he was nervous and started sweating, but he drops the brick. And he dropped it right on top of the core and it instantly went critical. God damn, dude. Yeah. Flash of blue light, wave of heat. That's the Higgins effect. That's yes? the Higgins. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I think. Knew, I think that's, I, I can look it up here. But it, I mean, it's the, you know, it's the, it's the result of, of all the radiation just pouring out of this thing. He took a lethal dose of radiation. I've seen different figures. I've seen he took 200 rads. I've seen he took 500 rads. Um, either way, he was dead within 25 days. Um, dude, 25 days to die from radiation from radiation is terrible. Horrible. Yeah. Yeah, dude. Like it basically blows up your red blood cells. Yeah. Do you want to spend a minute and talk about <clears throat> what happens when people die from radiation poisoning? Yeah, of course I do. <laughs> Would this be fact schmacks if it didn't just get super dark? Right. So, you know, typically if you take a large dose of radiation poison, if you have uh, uh, advanced radiation uh, sickness or ADS, I think, um, you will instantly get very, very nauseous, um, which is, you know, stuff like the, the lining of your stomach melting away and you're vomiting it out and, and doing other things, that stuff that's pretty gross. And then you'll feel better. Um, because you're kind of through dealing with that stuff. But what's happened is you're... Your cells have been so damaged that they can no longer reproduce. Yeah, dude, they got basically blasted. Yeah, so it, it's, you know, it's only a matter of time before your cells can't reproduce enough to keep your organ functions going and things like that. So, yeah, it's a pretty agonizing way to die. Uh, 25 or 28 days is, is that's a terrible, uh, terrible fate. Chernikov? Chernikov effect? Chernikov effect. effect? I think that's what Wikipedia is telling me. Okay. Now I need to pay attention again because I can't <laughs> do two things at once. <laughs> Closing the computer. Um, he did, uh, you know, when he dropped the brick, he immediately 
swiped it away and, and yeah. knocked it off. Dude, it's like a if it's the right amount, it's like a second. Like oh, it yeah. can kill you. There were I actually probably shouldn't. Um there was um yeah, there's things like in, in Chernobyl and stuff where you know, the guy just basically walked past something and that yeah. was it. That was all it took. All it took to burn you. Yeah, dude. Yeah. I mean, I think it's like a hundred. So the international standard, I think, is a sievert. Yes. Uh, but then... And I usually, th- like, if you're talking about industrial application, you're getting like a micro sievert is not great, but... Yeah, so in an industrial application, you have... Um, the international standard is a sievert. Yeah, I think uh, the ones that we worked with were REM, which were like a factor of 10 or something like that different than a sievert. I'd have to look at it, but say like a, a micro sievert is like a milliram or something, right? Yeah. So, so like a normal kind of par for the course year as a radiation uh, worker, nuclear worker would be like one REM up to five REMs yeah. per year, five REMs, but over, only five over five years and REM stands for rotogen equivalent man. It's the amount of radiation that can be held, like uh, absorbed by a human without really much consequence. Yeah. Uh, so there's a bunch of factors that go into measuring it, but anyhow, uh, so you can take one to five, uh, five in a year, only five over five years in Canada. Yeah. Um, but there was, I mean, a hundred at a hundred rem, you're dead. Yeah, right. Uh, I think it's a hundred. Pretty sure it's a hundred. But you, you, there's guys who could take a hundred rem and be fine, but the other guy's gonna die. Sure. And if you're five feet further back, you're, you might only take half because right. it's there's there's it's three square. There's three factors. It's time that you're around it, distance from it mm-hmm. and shielding. Yeah. So if you're behind a lead, if you're, if I'm standing behind a lead wall and you're beside me, you get zapped. I take maybe a third of what you took. Yeah. Right. If so, you're, for example, sitting at a desk and you're behind the guy who just took, you know, two to 500 rads, uh, like the, the, um, the guard who was there, you know, he lived for another like 35 years or something. Oh, he yeah. did die of yeah. leukemia, uh, which sucks. That's, and that's a, Probably as a result. Maybe, yeah. But he was a guard at the facility that was, you know, developing the first nuclear bomb. So who knows? It's probably that, but it could, maybe it's something else. Who knows? Yeah. Well, who knows? Yeah. It wasn't, wasn't us. (laughs) (laughs) Um, One of the guys who was, um, who actually visited this guy in the hospital as he lay dying from his horrible, horrible radiation sickness was a man named Louis Slotin. Louis Slotin was a Canadian physicist. He was kind of, he, he kind of took over this experiment after uh, Harry Doglian died. Now, you know, they're not, they're not dumb. They're going to put some safety precautions in. Maybe this whole brick thing wasn't great. So they, they developed these beryllium spheres. Beryllium is another thing that will reflect neutrons. It's not going to stop any radiation, uh, or at least it doesn't stop enough of it. Um, but uh, it's, it is going to reflect these neutrons back into the fray. So, you know, it's constructed in such a way that if you were to completely envelop this core inside these things, you had, you know, you sealed it inside, it's going to go super critical. But if there's any gap there, you're probably okay. Right. And so, again, the experiment is lowering this core on, really probing the exact, you know, kind of spot where this thing goes uh, goes 
critical or super critical. Um, but a lot of people thought this experiment was very, very dangerous. Um, and particularly the way this Lewis Slotin guy started doing it. it. It developed a nickname that was tickling the dragon's tail. Uh, Lewis, or sorry, not Lewis, uh, Richard Feynman gave it that nickname. Uh, Richard, Richard Feynman. Richard Feynman, who is a uh, very, very famous uh, uh, particle physicist, quantum, okay, yeah, quantum yeah. mechanics guy. I've heard the name before. He's most famous for something called, well, I'm going to take actually a really sm- slight detour there. He's actually most famous because in the Challenger disaster, he was the guy they put in charge of trying to figure out what happened. And he's the guy who... Oh, you know, okay. he figured out that it was these O-rings that had frozen, uh, right, yeah. lost their elasticity, and, and um, I think if there was a fuel leak or something as a result. Supposedly, he was kind of, I think the story goes that it was kind of internally known what had happened, and someone kind of very subtly tipped him off. Um, I, uh, there was a documentary. I think it was on Cosmos. I think that was part of Cosmos, the Neil deGrasse Tyson Cosmos. Oh, okay. Yeah. There was also a documentary I saw. I want to say on Netflix or it might've been CNN or something. Yeah. But they develop a strategy because they don't, you know, you don't ever want these two halves. That's going to be a disaster if these two halves ever class. So they, so they do something really, really uh, high tech and smart and they get two little wooden wedges and you're supposed to make sure that these two little wooden wedges are, are in there at all times. Um, so that this thing can never clasp shut foolproof plan, except if the guy who's doing the experiment just doesn't use them at all. Oh, you never want to take the shortcuts. And right? this, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> we're going to get to here is why you don't take shortcuts. On yeah. Safety. So this Lewis Lawton guy, you know, he he got very lax about safety with a nuclear bomb. This is not something you really want. He started doing this experiment by using one of his hands to just hold the sphere that he's lowering down. And then he had a slot head screwdriver in the other hand that he was using to control how much gap there was between uh, these two halves of beryllium. And again, remember, if these two halves ever fully touch, game over. Mm-hmm. He's putting his whole life <clears throat> on the line with a slot head screwdriver. You know, you know what else is game over? Oh, no. Beer number three. <laughs> oh, dear. This is, yeah, this is not good. <laughs> this doesn't bode well. Um, so he's he's has done this experiment dozens and dozens of times. Uh, when, you know, things kindly finally come to a head, he's actually... A screwdriver head? Yeah. A head? Hey, it's, well, it's a slot head. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Okay, carry on. Yeah. Um, when he, when things come to a head, he's actually doing a demonstration. I think ironically for the person who was supposed to replace him doing this experiment of how he did it, there was eight people, including him in the room watching this, him do this. And he's messing around with this thing and the screwdriver slips and the two halves touch. Again, we've got a flash of blue light that goes across the room. He bats the the thing around away from the, the the top half away from the bottom half it falls on the floor apparently uh, i think what he said was um well that's done it the people who are in the room immediately ran out like just panicked and he screams at them to get their asses back in there and they do and he throws them all a piece of chalk and tells them to mark exactly where they had been standing when it happened and he was able to use that information to figure out 
how many rads they had received, you know, how much yeah, of their, who got their, what dose. Exactly. How yeah. much each person's life was shortened essentially from standing uh-huh. in that room. Yeah. Um, he of course got the worst of it. Um, he probably shielded the other people from, from getting a worse dose. The old meat shield, the old meat shield. He took a thousand rads. He wow. Was, yeah. It's till to this day, I, I not sure, but it might be the highest amount of rads any human has ever taken. Yeah. Wow. He was dead in nine hours or nine, not sorry, nine days. Um, I mean, I don't know what the, some of the Chernobyl guys right. took. Like it was, and I, I think that's hard to calculate. Relates. Well, they have, I've read a couple books on Chernobyl and, and, but they gave the unit of measure in REM in that book and sieverts. Yeah. Which does not actually like a rad. Like, it's different units. I know. I yeah. Should, that's the units that I got from my sources, which may or may not be Wikipedia. It's a thousand percent Wikipedia. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> that's the gold standard of this podcast. Yeah. Um, you know, so, uh, dude, it's, um, it's, it's so crazy. The things like just crazy when it comes to nuclear, like what you're nuclear. Yeah. What are you dealing with there? Yeah. You know, like you let the genie out of the bottle and you can't put it back in. Like you sure can. Something goes critical like that. You tickle the tail of that dragon. Maybe mm-hmm. it bites you. Maybe it, it wakes does up. Bite you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So they, this thing, this core that had now killed two people, Oh, it's the same core. It's the same core. Oh, man. It became known as the Demon Core. Nice. Yeah, which has an awesome name, but, a, you know, kind of a horrible history. Yeah. Um, but, you know, let it not be said that uh, guy number one, he dropped something, right? Can, can, can Before I lose this thought, can I just interrupt? Yeah. They well, call it the Demon you, Core. You're well, asking <laughs> this to is my job, now. I guess. They called the Demon Core that killed two people. <laughs> The demon core. I know. But the rest of them killed like 70,000 people and they're just like, yeah, it's fat boy. (laughs) (laughs) Hey there, little fella. (laughs) Oh, you killed two of ours? You're the devil. (laughs) That is a good observation there, Kevin. (laughs) That's American. Yeah. That's American might. Yeah. Oh, this here's a demon. So of the other people who were in the uh, um, room, you know, some of them definitely died of things like leukemia that could probably be associated to... Might have a correlation. Might have had something like <laughs> to do with this. WSAB says, nah, it was pre-existing. <laughs> but some people live like 55 years after this happened. So yeah, for sure, because it's... it's Depending it's on miss. your biology, where it hit. Where, yeah, where yeah. it hit. Uh, you got to picture like, like the radiation, like I almost, and I don't know if this is accurate or not, but I basically picture it like a tiny, tiny ass little neutron or proton or fucking whatever it is. It's a tiny bullet, tiny bullet. And it's going to fire through you. Mm-hmm. It might hit something. It might not. It might hit your cell. It might do nothing. It might kill it. It might mutate it. Yep. Who fucking knows? Who knows? Who knows? And that's the thing, buddy. We don't. <laughs> we don't know much. <laughs> <laughs> so this thing was supposed to be detonated. It actually they did they were going to use it in a test, but I don't I don't necessarily know why they they decided not to. After it had killed a second person, rather than detonate it, 
they melted it back down and kind of redistributed it within the nuclear stockpile. So I guess there's little bits of it everywhere. I don't know why they didn't just blow it up and be done with it. I don't know. But that's yeah, what that's, they did. That's weird. Mm-hmm. So that's your story. That's the end of the story. Wow. We were doing the famed Demon Core. The famed Demon Core. Demon Core, which sounds like a, a, a brand of metal that would be awesome. I, you know what, dude? I bet there probably is Demon Core metal. There should be. Yeah. Yeah. And if there isn't, we're going to make it. Absolutely. Us two famed metalheads. <laughs> <laughs> really into the genre of metal. I did my Spotify wrapped, and Dave Matthews Band was my number one listen to <laughs> artist. You just announced that publicly. I know, but what happens is, like, here's the thing. It's You I, had a Dave Matthews thing back in the day. Back I in remember. the day, and then summer comes around and it's just something I so so it's I think this happens to a lot of people with Jimmy Buffett but like summer comes around and all of a sudden I just I just gotta put it on mm, that's me with sublime mm, and it just it throws off my whole year you know the rest of it's all indie bullshit and then Dave Matthews band <laughs> <laughs> because because I binged it in the summer you know uh I got a message from our listener and uh he sent me a, a thing and and we were his number one podcast no kidding. Isn't that touching? <laughs> that is really touching. And here's to our listener. Thanks for listening. <laughs> oh. He was really butthurt that there wasn't an episode yesterday. Well, yeah. So It happens. It does happen. So, um, it's better to do it in person. Absolutely. Due to circumstances, uh, yeah. Not, just, in a, not, not in a good place for podcast yesterday. Yeah. And I mean, if we're going to be hanging out today, why not do it in person? Right. It's just that much more magical. I think the magic is alive and well oh, in our relationship. Yeah. It's just in the air. You could almost reach out and touch it. <laughs> Good ships and bad ships, but the best ships are relationships. <laughs> <laughs> like the one we have. <laughs> All right, let's get this over with and go, <laughs> and go snuggle. <laughs> <laughs> let's shoot old yeller. So, uh, so Kev's closing fact of the day. Uh-huh. I got, a, I got this thing about words and names. I like to get the etymology of things. Sure. So we're going to talk. Uh, we're sitting in your house. I yeah. got a house. Mm-hmm. I assume you didn't buy your house outright. Nope. You got yourself a little mortgage, don't oh, you? I got myself a big mortgage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I got myself a little mortgage, which I'm quite fine with. Good for you. Yeah. Very happy about that. Um, but what's what's in the word mortgage? Well, mort, which is death. Oh, fuck. All right. Why don't you do the? Why don't you do it? <laughs> <laughs> well, I did why don't you deliver... The closing fact today. I did work at a bank. Like, yeah, that's true. That's true. They probably had the demon core in the vault. <laughs> I did investments. I didn't do lending, but I've, I mean, I've looked at the word like a million times. Yeah. Okay. So great. So basically, mortgage is uh, has like a little bit of Latin and French in there, and it basically translates loosely to death pledge. Sweet. Yeah. Because, you know, you're probably going to pay it till you're goddamn dead. Wow. Yeah, too much of that happening these days. Yeah. Sort of like of... Um, politics. It's two words. Poly is the Greek word for many, and techs are blood-sucking creatures. <laughs> <laughs> and good night. Good night. <laughs>